0: All right. Hey, it's a joy to be here this evening. And uh, we drove a little over 1,200 miles to be here. Oh, my, my, my. And uh, we're doing a uh, kind of a vacation all over the world, seemingly. And uh, so, anyway, we're, Pastor Robert asked me to speak. I said, I can speak. We got all sorts of messages. And I, I pastor a church in Grand Island, Nebraska. That's, uh, if you know where Lincoln, Nebraska is, it's about 90 miles to the west of Lincoln. And I hear there's Teen Challenge guys here. Where are the Teen Challenge guys at? All over here. All right. Good to have you guys here. We, uh, we have them up in uh, Nebraska as well. Our church supports a Women's Teen Challenge and a Men's Teen Challenge. And uh, we've had them in our church before. And they just it's a great, great ministry. I've got personal friends that have come through Teen Challenge and have changed their lives. And I'm just telling you, God can do anything for you. You don't look at the past. You look at the future, where God's taking you. Amen. That's not the sermon, but that was just this mini-sermon there. That one was for free, okay? Let's just pray right now. Father, I just pray that you would be with us tonight, that you would guide us, you would allow your spirit to touch our hearts and our minds. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. 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 And uh, Robert was right. I, I, you know, when he asked me to speak, I'm like, oh, what do I speak on? You know, I do have a lot of sermons, you know, and I thought, what hope. You guys have been through it down here, uh, you know, for a while. Uh, We've all been through COVID, but then you had a hurricane knocked in on top of you and all that other kind of stuff. You need hope. Well, I can tell you who is going to give you hope tonight, and that's the Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Now, I I understand that normally you have, Pastor Robert has all these fancy notes, and you fill in the blank. I'll try to give you the most important things to write down on your blank sheet of paper, okay? And uh, sorry for that. But uh, that's just the way, the, way, the way it is. But I, my message is called Finding Hope. Find, oh, there it is there. It's on the screen. Finding Hope. Now, it comes from the, the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesians was written by Paul in about 62 A.D. God gave him a message for the people then. But the message he gave for the people then applies today. And tw- what are we at now? 2021. I just lost 10 years in that state, that thinking that 2021, okay. But the, the book of Ephesians has a general theme, and that's God's purpose for Christ's followers and the church. Now, knowing God's purpose for our lives is very important, especially today in these challenging times that we're living in. And we all across this United States are living in challenging times. Now, Ephesians has a unique place in Paul's letters. It's not focused on, on spiritual problems, leadership issues, controversy within the church, as many of Paul's other letters are, but it helps to instill hope in our lives. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, really spells out Paul's intent in writing the letter. Ephesians 4, okay, oh man, you got the scriptures on the screen. Okay, I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do that. Um, I don't know if it's the same version. It looks like it is. But it's, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Spiritual unity is not a matter of agreeing on all the issues, okay, but rather, it's unity of love, of purpose, and it's maintaining and being loyal to the truth and moving in obedience to the leading of the Spirit. This unity is based on Christ's love and purpose at work and through our lives, okay? Now, another purpose that Paul wrote Ephesians is found in Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 18. Oh, look at that. That is wonderful. <laughs> Ever since I first heard of your strong faith. Now, this is Paul saying this to all of us your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope There's one of those words that's going to keep coming up tonight. The confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. Now, Paul prayed constantly that the believers would mature, okay? And even though they already knew God in a special way, he wanted them, Paul wanted them to know God in a better way. And even though, I mean, this service tonight, wow, I mean, this was great. I'm I'm over here taking video of of the song, one of the songs I said, We're going to sing that back home the first Sunday I'm back home. and And the spirit that is here, you guys are in a great place, okay? Paul pinpoints three very important matters essential to Christian maturity, as if to say, if you really want to grow spiritually, you must understand these three things, okay? Now get those pens ready. Number one, first of all, If believers are to grow properly in the Lord, they must understand the hope of their calling. You must understand the hope of your calling. And it serves as an incentive to spur believers on to spiritual maturity. Secondly, the Bible speaks in many places about the inheritance God has promised his people. When you understand what God has given to you, it helps you grow. There is an inheritance. Now, in the natural, inheritances are good. You know, you inherit money from usually, a, a, a you know, somebody up the chain, a parent or, or an uncle or somewhere like that. And when you get an inheritance, you get something for free that you did not work for. Okay? God has stuff for you that's free that you don't have to work for. And thirdly, and I'll, and I'll unpack that in a little bit in a minute. Thirdly, understanding the greatness of his power to those who believe will help us grow. Understanding the greatness of his power. Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 2. It's the first part of Ephesians. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You see, this, in this very first verse, it says that believers are faithful followers of Christ, which indicates we are constantly aware of the Lord's presence and companionship in our lives. The Christian's life is seen as Christ living in us. When we, when the when the guys were leading worship, the guys and gals were leading worship tonight. I mean, the presence of God was in this house. Okay, and if it, if you weren't touched, you need to slap yourself silly next time in here and say, well, "Okay, I got to wake up because God's presence is in this place." Very similar to what it tells us in Galatians two twenty, probably one of my favorite verses says, "My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me." So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. In one sense, all Christians have been crucified with Christ on the cross. Our old sinful, rebellious way of life has been put to death with Jesus as he took our sin upon himself. Now, the Teen Challenge guys are over here, and, and you are here over here. And you may not have all the craziness that they had in their lives. I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just guessing. You you may not have had all the craziness in your life. But you know what? You still needed Jesus. You still were were living your life for what you wanted. I never never did probably anything of what these guys have done in their lives. But you know what? I was away from God because I was trying to live my life the way I wanted to live it. And you know what? I was just as much a sinner as anybody else. Christ's perfect and sinless life provided the complete sacrifice for all of our sins. For you over here, over here, over here, and over there. All of our sins, Christ's sacrifice. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. <laughs> once for all time. He never sinned. He died for sinners. Those who accept the forgiveness provided by Jesus' sacrifice receive a new faith of Christ which allows us to fulfill God's highest purpose for our lives. We just have to accept what he's already done for us. Because of spiritual salvation and a personal relationship with God through Jesus, sin no longer has control over us. It has been broken. Now, you can dabble and go back in sin, yes, but the power of sin, if you say, I'm out, I, I want all of Jesus, I'm all in with Jesus, the power of sin no longer controls you. According to Romans 8, 11, we who have been crucified with Christ now live with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That means that Christ and his strength it lives within us. Jesus is the center of all of our thoughts, our words, our actions. Our primary goal is to fulfill his purposes in our lives. And this union with Christ comes as a gift of God through faith. You know, what is a gift? You get them at Christmas time? D- do you deserve those gifts at Christmas time? Well don't say yes, I do. I've been such a good little boy, you know, Santa bringing me things. I'm not on the naughty list. It doesn't matter. A gift is something you get for doing nothing but being who you are. On your birthday, you get a lot of times you get a gift from your family or relatives or something just for being who you are. God has given us gifts just for being who we are. The Bible contrasts our new life of Christ with our old, spiritually dead and unresolved life inherited through the guy called Adam. Remember him? He kind of messed it up for all of us, didn't he? But you know what? One man caused it, but Jesus made sure that he undid what Adam had done. Ephesians 1, going a couple verses more. Verses 4 and 5 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. It gives God great pleasure to do for you what he has done for you. Sometimes these verses are misunderstood, and I I just want to take a minute. Has God really determined ahead of time who's going to be saved and who's going to spend eternity with him and who's going to be condemned and forever banished from his presence? No. We are the ones who make that choice. You see, God's already decided who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. No, that is not true. The Bible is clear about the fact that God is omniscient. He knows everything. And he he actively involved in all of our lives. And the Bible is equally clear that people make a choice whether or not to follow God. And this choice determines whether or not we spend eternity with him. Just because God knows the eventual outcome of every situation does not mean that he causes the outcome. We cause the outcome ourselves. Here's where it might get a little hard to understand. God is aware of everything that occurred in the past. He knows everything that will, unha- will happen in the future. Yet this does not mean that God determines our choices and our actions. We are the ones who choose our choices. We are the one who set up where we will spend eternity. God created all of us with a free will to make our own decisions, which means people are still responsible for choices and And the resulting consequences. Therefore, God predestined, even before the world was created, that the New Testament church would exist as his witness to the people of this age. Ephesians 1, verse 6. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Salvation and all its benefits are the results of God's glorious grace which is unmerited favor on us. It is unmerited. It's not like any of us did anything to deserve the grace that he has given to us. Don't go around saying, oh, you know what? God is lucky to have me on his team. Huh. No, 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 no. We ought to go around ducking and saying, God, thank you for having us on your team. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. He purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. He forgave our sins. Amen. Any of you ever were raised in your, you know, before you came to know Christ and you were sinless? Uh. Uh-uh. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The riches of his grace caused Christ to redeem us by the payment of giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. I don't care if you got 20 million sins. I don't care if you got one sin. His sacrifice paid for those sins. Now, verse 11 in, in uh, chapter 1 says this. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance. I talked about that a minute ago. We have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, hmm. What, an, what a concept that we receive an inheritance from God. That God loves us so much that he has given us an inheritance. Now, for, for any of us who receive an inheritance from our family, any of us that have, or maybe you will say, hey, it's really cool. It's not cool that, you're, that you're, uh, your uh, relatives die. That's not the cool part. But there, all of a sudden there comes an inheritance into your bank account. And you say, Wow something that you didn't earn, something you don't deserve, but it is a gift, usually from a, a relative. And maybe they had money saved up to, you know, live their life out and some of it wasn't used. It is a gift for you. Well, God has an inheritance for each one of you. You say, man, I live, I'm live. i living on poor street. I'm this and I'm that. And you can say all the bad things I'm telling you. God has an inheritance for you. And if nothing else, he has an inheritance for you to make it to heaven and give you a glorious life after you've been here on this earth. It says in verse 11 that we've received an inheritance from God. What an encouraging word. God has given each of us something that we did not deserve. It's almost beyond a human mind to fathom that God allows us to share in his glory. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians reflects God's highest desire for every follower of Christ. He prays that the Spirit might work in and through their lives in greater and more powerful ways. Paul desired that believers would actually comprehend fully what they had received in Christ. And I would suspect that many of us have not really uh, comprehended what it is that we have fully received from Christ. But I'm telling you, God has an inheritance for you. He has, he has great things for you. And don't say, well, I'm just, not, you know, I'm just not good enough to get these things. I've had people in my church say, you know, all these bad things are happening to my life. What is it that, where is it that God is mad at me? No, sometimes things just happen. God's not mad at you. He's wanting to bless you. While we might answer, well, you know, I don't deserve it. You're right. You don't deserve it. But God is faithful to give it to you anyway. Even though the Ephesians knew God in a special way, Paul wanted them to know him even better. Paul pinpointed three very important matters uh, that are very essential to Christian maturity. Oh, I got another three points. Okay. He, he was in essence saying, if you really want to grow spiritually, you must understand these three things. Number one, they needed to understand the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Verse 14, Paul had to had just explained that Christians receive in salvation a down payment of all that God has promised them. A proper attitude of hope is when one expects God to give all his promises to his people. This kind of hope is what serves as a strong incentive to spur us on to spiritual maturity. You think God doesn't love you? I'm telling you, He's given you a shot of hope if you'll grab onto it. And if you grab onto it, you will become more mature in Christ. Number two, point number two, understanding God's inheritance in the saints will lead to growth in the Lord. You understand what God has for you? He has an inheritance for you. That's great news. God does not need anything from us, but he wants our praise. He wants our praise. He wants our worship. We must understand that we are the only thing in God's creation that can praise God willingly. How many dogs praise the Lord? Zero. How many cats? Zero. And this isn't a fight between cat owners and dog owners, but I'm telling you, we are the only ones that can praise the Lord. Point number three, understanding the, the uh, greatness of his power toward us who believe will make possible growth in the Lord. Understanding the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. He has power toward you. He wants to do things in your life. Ephesians 1, now I'm in verse 22, says God put all things under the authority of Christ and made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body and it is made fully complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Psalms 8, starting in verse 4, says what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Talking about people. Now in the New Testament, these verses here in Psalms are applied to Jesus calling him the son of man. It is only in him that these truths are perfectly realized. He is the one who has a representative of the human race, has full power and authority over all creation. One thing that Paul understood was he understood what it meant to have hope, biblical hope. And that's one thing I think in the body of Christ at large nowadays, we don't have enough biblical hope. We are always looking at the negative. We are always looking at our problems. We are always looking at the things that are wrong in our culture, in our society, in the government. We're always looking at the wrong things. But we need to have biblical hope. The concept of hope looks to the future. What is the future for all of us who know Jesus? It's a lifetime. It's an eternity—not lifetime, but it's an eternity in heaven with Jesus. Okay. There's no bills up there. There's no utilities to be, be paid. And there's no car payments in heaven, okay? That's great news. That's biblical hope. Yeah, we're all saying, whoo Biblical hope is directly related to and cannot be separated from a firm faith and a complete trust in God. When we have a trust in God, we have biblical hope. Psalm 62, verse 5, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, For my hope is in him. Is your hope in him tonight? I hope so. Look at verse 6. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. Psalms 33, 20 says, we put our hope in the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. For our hope is in you alone. We sure can't put hope in politicians, can we? We won't even go any further than that. We sure can't put our hope in powerful people. We sure can't put our hope in government programs. We can only put our hope in God. Hope is like an anchor that that keeps us steady through all the storms of life. Most have lost hope because of the storms that keep coming into this nation and coming into your world. You might lose hope, but I'm trying to encourage you tonight to, to re-grab. If you don't have hope today when you came in here, grab on to hope. Grab on to biblical hope. Now, uh, and I, when you're talking about storms keep coming to this nation, I'm not talking about hurricanes, which you guys are understand fully. I'm talking about the other storms that come in. The things that come in to to ruin the morale, to ruin the morals of our culture. We need to have biblical hope in the midst of that stuff. The foundation for a believer's hope is not based on certain politicians or governments, but rather based on the nature and character of God, of Jesus and the Word of God. That's where our hope comes from. You say, I don't have hope in anything. Have you been reading your Bible? And you say, well, not much. Well, read your Bible because there is where you get your hope from. Right. Scripture reveals how God has always proven himself faithful. Without fail, God displayed his great power for the benefit of his people. During the, Israel's exodus, when the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt, then let's remember all the multiple miracles of Jesus and the early leaders of the first century church. Not to mention the millions of miracles that have taken place in life since then. I've seen miracles take place in front of my eyes that were like, that is not possible. I'm going to tell you three of them right now. When I was a youth pastor, which was like, you know, three years, no, (laughs) lots of years ago. I had a 12-year-old kid in my church and his mother brought him up to the altar after church was over. And it would be like here, there would be like two people left in the room. Nobody's playing music. There's no music being played. And the mama brought this 12 year old boy up who was born with a cleft palate. His name was Casey. And the cleft palate left, he had no cartilage in his nose, and he looked like one of those pug nosed dogs. Just the nose is flat. She said, Casey wants you to pray that God will grow, well, God will give him a normal nose, would do something to his nose, you know, to make it normal. Okay? So I prayed for it. And I I got one of my elders in that church. And we prayed, you know, we prayed heaven down. And I remember looking at that boy when we were done. I didn't say it, but I looked at him and I said in my heart, God, there's no way. That's too hard for you. (laughs) She went out to the car. He screamed in the back seat, grabbed his face, and they made him pull his hands apart, and God was grew cartilage in that boy's nose. They came back to service that night, a Sunday night service. They came back that night, and she gave testimony of what God had done in his life in the parking lot after church. There was a youth pastor who was repenting because I said in my heart, God, there's no way. You know, I had forgotten that God created the whole world, had created all us people, and does all kinds of miracles. I forgot all of that. And and when I was looking, I was only seeing what I could see. And I said, God, there's no hope. Well, that day changed my life. (laughs) I decided to start having hope and trust in God, that God could do the miracles. Before we moved to Nebraska, we were in uh, uh, Des Moines, Iowa. And there was a girl in our church who was a, quadriplegic she couldn't move her legs or her arms and in one service they began to pray for her it was on a Saturday night and and I was we were not there but we sat two seats next to her Sunday morning the next day and they began to pray and she could lift her hands a little bit and finally she could raise her hands long story short they kept praying and she kept having uh, having faith and she kept believing that God could do it So by the end of the service, she was literally, and had a balcony in the church, literally running up the steps across the balcony and down the steps and across the the aisle. Now, if that happened in your church, you think you could have church? I'm telling you. We came in that next day, that next morning, Sunday morning, and the place, everybody was like, oh, did you hear what happened to Renee? Did you hear what happened to Renee? No, I haven't. What happened? Well, they told us the story. And then Renee was sitting on the other side of my wife in church that next day. Don't think that you've got a miracle, you've got something that's too big for a miracle that, is, that you don't have faith to believe in. God can do anything, anything. What was my third miracle? Oh, yeah, my wife, that's right. <laughs> I knew there was three. <laughs> I just talked to my church about this on Sundays. My wife was pregnant with our last child, our third child. He's now 28, okay, to give you the end of the story. Long story short, things were happening in her stomach that weren't good when she was pregnant. And the doctor said to me on the phone, there's no hope. Just put Paula to bed and just, there will, and then wait for the tissue to pass. Well, it was a baby yesterday. Today it's a tissue. Well, my wife said, you know what, I'm going to make sure this baby comes out. So she went to bed four and a half months she was in bed. She'd come down, we'd go to the doctor, we'd come back, we'd go up the stairs. Okay? After four and a half months, when we finally did have that baby, that kitchen was a mess, let me tell you. Because <laughs> not that we were we were cleaning in that, but we had people from our church coming over and they'd do the dishes and they'd put stuff in places that we had not thought it would ever go. And I was in trouble for months. Where did you put this? I didn't touch that. One of our lady friends put it somewhere. We just have to find it. But Four and a half months later, she had a perfectly uh, delivered boy. He's a little brain dead from time to time, but he is a perfectly delivered boy, <laughs> loves Jesus, and he's a pastor on staff. He's actually on staff in Clinton, Iowa, at a church called River Church. Is that not crazy? And that church sits right on the west side of the Mississippi River. <laughs> You talk about weird. When I heard these guys were going to call their church River Church, because I knew his church. We're going to call our church River Church. Wow. That will be easy for me to remember. All my relatives are at River Church. But I'm telling you, they were, and, and with my wife, they said there's no way. One, one morning in, in, the, in the process there, she wakes up, boom, bag of water breaks in the bed. Water everywhere, Okay. And, uh, I mean, it's just, you know, the bag of waters where the baby is kept inside the woman is all over the place in the sheet. I don't even hear about it yet. She calls her mom and, and probably sisters and said, pray, something bad has happened. Finally, I get word, and we go rushing off to the hospital, and we leave our two other kids with some friends. They took care of them, get to the hospital, and they do one of those ultrasounds. And, she's, and she says, and we're in a hospital that does not do abortions, Okay. And, and, and so she says, Oh, God. And the nurse is like, Lady, are you weird? I said, Ma'am, the bag of water is broken in our house. I was there. I, I gathered up the sheets, threw them in the shower, and we took off. Well, it couldn't have been all the water's there. Explain that to me. Well, I can explain it. God says, You know what? Let's put a patch on that hole and let's just refill it with, with the waters that that little baby needs they could not ever explain it medically now the doctor said to me well your wife she just you know it was urine she just wet her ma'am i know what urine's like i got two other little boys i've seen that stuff this was not that god did a miracle okay so whatever your miracle that you need understand god is bigger than the problem that you have You say, I got this disease. Don't matter. God's bigger than your disease. God's bigger than the relationship problem that you're having. He's bigger than the financial problem that you're having. He can do a miracle. Have biblical hope that God can do what you need him to do. Psalms 124, 8. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Hebrews 13, 6, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? (laughs) Ephesians 2, 12, you lived in this world without God and without hope. You see, as believers, we have hope. And it's based on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's based on his power that he has for us. 1 John 3 eight, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, the devil's just beating up on me so bad. Well, I'm telling you, you get some biblical hope, and God's going to come in and change that circumstance. Now, concerning our hope, Peter says in 1 Peter 1 1.3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, does that ever happen normally? No. God did it with Jesus. him from the dead. We need to have hope that God can do anything. Philippians 1:6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Hebrews 9:28 says, he will come again. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not to deal with our sin, to bring salvation to all who are eagerly awaiting him. Are you eagerly awaiting him? Grab on to some biblical faith and biblical hope and eagerly await his return. Because when he comes back, he's going to change some things. What great hope we have knowing that Jesus is coming again for us. <clears throat> the focus of the believer's hope can never be on other human beings, in material possessions can never be in just wealth. It is only in Jesus. We have hope in God's grace, in fact, that he will help us make it through any difficulties or sufferings we face in our present lives. We have hope that the time will come when our sufferings on earth will finally be over. We have hope that God will bring our spiritual growth and salvation to completion. We have hope of an eternal home and a new heaven and a new earth in a city designed and built by God. We have the blessed hope that Jesus will return and his followers will be caught up in the air to meet him. We have hope of receiving a reward for faithful service to God. We have the hope of eternal life, which is guaranteed to all who trust and obey the Lord. With such great promises in store for those whose hope is in the God and in his son Jesus, we should have an everlasting desire to share that hope with other people. 1 Peter 3.15. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Are you in a hopeless situation today? Have you lost all hope because something is going on in your life, your job, your finances, your marriage, your wayward kids? It doesn't matter. You need to grab on and get some biblical hope. God has given all of us inheritances. God doesn't inherit inherit people who are nobodies. He only inherits people who are somebodies because you've, you've accepted Christ into your heart and you've asked Jesus to come in and do the thing in your life. Would you stand with me for prayer?